The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 186 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I am your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I'm going to be talking with Ryan Getz, who is a managing partner at WGA Consulting Engineers located down in Houston, Texas. Ryan has 19 years of experience in engineering design and consulting and co-founded WGA Consulting Engineers with a mission to break the model of other engineering companies. We're going to talk about how he grew his civil engineering company from seven people to 50 people. And really, what I loved about our conversation is that he focused a lot on the relationship and the conversations that need to happen between owners and the staff, the team members, having those conversations, understanding their wants, their needs, their goals. I think this is such an underrated component of growing any company, civil engineering company and beyond, but he really focused on it and I really enjoyed it and I'm really looking forward to sharing this episode with you. So, I'm excited for this one, but before I jump in, there are a couple things I want to mention real quickly. First of all, I've been thrilled and honored that this podcast, the Civil Engineering Podcast, was recently cited by the American Society of Civil Engineers, an article entitled Five Civil Engineering Podcasts You Need to Be Listening To. Really, really excited to be mentioned with some of the other podcasts that were mentioned. We'll put a link to the article, but it's a big thanks to you because you're a listener, you're a supporter, and you really do help to grow the podcast. And so that's something that I wanted to really thank you for. I really mean that this podcast wouldn't reach as many civil engineers as it does without our listeners because they often share it. I also want to mention that one of the services that we've been really getting into at the Engineering Management Institute is custom building training programs. We have our Engineering Leadership Accelerator People Skills course. We have our project management training courses. What we've been doing lately is working with companies to take our curriculum plus their verbiage, their tools, their templates, and combining the two to build a very custom program specific to their company. We can then deliver the program or we can train some of your professionals to deliver it, but there's nothing like a custom training program that serves to help recruit engineering professionals, which everyone needs help with right now, helps to develop your professionals and helps to retain them. So if you're interested in talking about any of our training programs, whether there are general courses, custom courses, hybrid courses, you can reach out to us at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org or give us a call, 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. All right, now it's time to dive into our Civil Engineering Conversation of the Week with Ryan Getz. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest onto the show for today. Ryan Getz is the founder, CEO, and managing partner of WGA Consulting Engineers in Houston, Texas. Ryan, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Maybe you could just give our listeners a little bit of an intro to WGA, the services you offer, your locations. Well, currently, we our services were basically infrastructure, site development, land development, water resources, and hydraulics and hydrology. And we have four different locations. We also have an environmental division. And our locations are in Houston, in San Antonio, and just north of Houston in the Woodlands. And currently, we're looking at three more cities to open up to. So we're in a scaling zone right now, but that's where we are today. 
We're going to dive into that a bit. Let's start at the beginning, Ryan, here. What motivated kind of you and your partner to start WGA? I grew up working for my father as an entrepreneur. And my very first job out of uh, Texas A&M as a civil engineer, I was completely uncomfortable with it because I was always used to watching the independence of a single operator do whatever he wants. And then I showed up for work. Suddenly there's all these rules. And I was uncomfortable from day one working for anybody. I kind of think I'm unemployable. That's just red pill of an entrepreneur. Like, how do you ever go take orders from anyone ever again? One of my best friends, Stephen Ward, who I went to school with, and we were roommates, worked at different companies. We constantly struggled with the same thing in the organizations. It almost seemed like the organizations were antiquated. You know, both great organizations, but they lacked the resources we needed to be successful. Our clients were always mad at us. Our bosses were always upset with us, and our wives were always upset with us because we couldn't, like, literally, you're making everyone unhappy. And as sooner or later, you're like, well, I'm making this much money. I get two weeks of vacation. Everyone's angry at me. There's got to be a better way to do this. And of course, I was 29. And you know what happens in your late 20s? You think you know everything. It takes your 30s to realize you get chopped down a few times. Do you realize, okay, maybe I was a little ignorant. You mix that dissatisfaction with your personal life and your professional life, tied in with a little bit of 29-year-old ignorance, and you think you know it all, you can do it better. And we had nothing to lose. When you have nothing to lose, you have everything to risk. And we always joked and said, if we never made it, we'll just become fishing guides. You know, I can make fishing guides enough cash that probably surpasses what I'm making as an engineer five and have all the vacation I want. And I'll just look really salty by the age of 50. That was kind of our alternative path, which didn't seem too bad. And, you know, what is risk? It's your alternative path. So it was a no-brainer. What's interesting about that is a lot of, I think, engineers or our listeners, I'm sure, might want to start a civil engineering company in the future. Let's say they're listening, they're young, and you did it at a young age, which I think is great because I think some people think they need to wait till they have 10, 15, 20 years experience before they have enough knowledge and relationships to do it. But to your point, sometimes when you're younger, you kind of don't know enough to be nervous about it and you don't have a lot to risk. So you kind of have the ability and you kind of like don't know what you don't know and you just go for it and then you kind of learn along the way. So I think there's a couple of different ways you can do it. You just recognize that you were at a point where you weren't happy. You knew you didn't have a ton of risk at that point in time. So you kind of gave it a shot. Is that right? Completely. And there's downsides too. I have an advisor who started his company at 40, sold at the age of 60, and he got to roll in with all sorts of clients. When he made the move, hell, none of my clients came with me. And I had to reinvent myself completely and call everyone I know, call everyone I don't know, and act like I knew them. Oh, hey, remember I met you at that happy hour? Hey, just meet me for lunch. And so, again, it makes you really go into survival mode and learn how to even run a business. I mean, we're not even talking about engineering being the hard part. You know, QuickBooks accounting, payroll, you try to get consultants to help you out, but you don't have any money because it costs us $50,000 to start this business, $25,000 each. You have to go get an office and they make you personally guarantee the office. And a personal guarantee means you can't declare bankruptcy to get it off your statement. And the personal guarantee was bigger, two times the size of my house I owned. Listen, there's different ways to do it. You could take a, a longer term approach where you, you know, like I said, you build up experience, knowledge, your relationships, or you can go at it from a younger stage where you do have less that is on the line. And, you know, if you falter, you can get back to something else, get another job or do something else. Like Ryan said, I mean, there's definitely different ways to do it. I think, Ryan, if you ask any kind of owner, maybe of a civil engineering company, 
why is your company better than others? They're going to have thoughts on it. But for you specifically, I know you spend a lot of time really thinking about how you build your company. How are you building WGA in a way that it is different in the industry, that you do stand out in some way to clients? When we first started, we focused on service. My previous experience at different engineering companies, and Stephen could say the same, they think that engineering is an engineering business and it's a service business, not an engineering business. And the way we won most of our clients was saying, hey, we'll just return a phone call. It's simple as that. You think it's rocket science, but it's not. It's return a phone call, care for your clients like you want to be cared for if you're on the other side and purchasing their services. Return an email. If you don't know what the answer is, say, I don't know, because most clients are just looking for honesty and authenticity. And we've tried to build our company around that. There has been some challenges getting there. I'm not saying I'm perfect and doing that every single time, but that really is our core values, our accountability, respect, and empowerment. That's for our staff and for our clients. And so engineers, I think, tend to struggle with that. They tend to avoid conflict, sweep under the rug the issue that needs to be talked about. And we try to empower our people to have those difficult conversations with their clients because those clients are just looking for truthfulness. And I learned that myself as a civil engineer, and I learned it a little bit the hard way because when I was younger, it was hard for me to tell the client, you know, the plan's not going to be ready tomorrow. It's going to be ready in three days because it's just taking more time. I might have fibbed a little bit and then it wasn't ready. So, you know, I had to kind of come to the table without the plans. We're all engineers, right? And engineers tend to be plan oriented, sit down, do some plans. And now all of a sudden we find ourselves in a position where we need soft skills of how to deal with conflict and Hell, I didn't even know what a soft skill was until I was 30. And I knew one of them. And there's probably a thousand of them that you need. And so we really reinforce those soft skills with our employees. And I think that's one thing that makes us different than others is we really enforce that run towards conflict. Don't run away from it. Communicate effectively and be authentic and learn those soft skills and realize your client is looking for trust. Your client is not looking to blame you. A lot of engineers get stuck in the technical projects and they just want to do the technical stuff. Leave me alone. I got to finish this report. I got to finish this calculation. But at the same time, instead, you should be thinking, let me call the client and update them. And it even happens in our world. I mean, we do a lot of training for civil companies. And even if a company hires us and I'm trying to get the information I need from them to build their training program on time to deliver it, people just don't respond to emails. I mean, it's not even like I'm trying to sell them on something. They've already bought something. And I just need the information to build it for them. And you're right. It's, sometimes it is so simple, but people just don't take the simple steps of being courteous, being responsive, helping move projects forward. And the soft skills are key. And I'm glad you said that. That kind of leads me into what I wanted to ask you next. I mean, you took the leap, 29 years old, you started a company as you found out, or maybe you knew it already, you need those soft skills. They are critical. And you preach that now in your company, which by the way, I see is that companies still don't do that, which is you know crazy. But you mentioned a couple skills, communication, running towards conflict. How does one develop these skills? Because there are a lot of our listeners saying, I can't do that, but I want to start a company. How am I going to do that? And I believe you can develop them. And I'm wondering if you could share your experience with some of your own soft skill development. You have to be able to reinvent yourself. I'm probably on Ryan Getz 8.0. And it's taken a lot of pain to get through there. And I mean, I can speak that for my business partner, Stephen Ward. We have not always agreed on everything, and we have to go into a room and work out details, but always have caring at the center and knowing that we'll get through it on the other end. 
he's also done a lot of work as well in this, the success of this company. You have to be able to reinvent yourself. You have to be able to listen. You also have to be able to throw out bad data. There are people that will teach you the wrong stuff. I think it starts with a lot having great mentors. And some mentors will disagree with other mentors. And so you always have to be loyal to yourself and trust your instincts. Are these people communicating at the center of your core values? You have to be able to use a mentor for a while until you grow out of them. And 2.0 doesn't use the same version as 1.0. Hell, 3.0, you might even use a different software or language. And you got to be able to reinvent that. And what's been helpful for me is having two parents that, that didn't make my life easy. They taught me a lot of the things of how to react towards these struggles. And then even having a, a great wife who I haven't always gotten along with, but I, you know, do now great and the ability to keep you centered. Because there's a lot of people that are pulling you out of your center because they want something from you. It's important to have good habits, good structure, good routines. But at the same time, like you said, things change. And you know, especially as a business owner, you have to be able to adapt. A lot of times, these soft skills, from my experience, is what helps you to be able to adapt, have a hard conversation, rethink something, sit down with someone and say, hey, this isn't working. We got to try something else. One thing that I have to say from my own experience is that I know that you can be really bad at these soft skills and become really good. Because when I started doing training and speaking, I couldn't speak at all in public. I was terrible. And it took a lot of work. And I think sometimes that's a misnomer. Engineers think, well, I'm an engineer. I can't speak in public. I can't talk effectively. I just, I wasn't taught to communicate. You can learn, you know, like Ryan said, you get out there and you start doing it. 29 years old, you start doing it. You start talking to clients, you start making sales. You'll get good at sales when you have to sell something to eat (laughs) that night or that week. Yeah. When you have a personal guarantee of $400,000 on the office space and your house is valued at 188 and you just bought it and you just had a child, you have to follow through. You have to be uncomfortable. Uncomfortable, make being uncomfortable causes pain, which makes you reinvent yourself to be a better version where there's less pain. 100%. I mean, it's that personal accountability. When you take ownership of something and you have something on the line, then that's where you really see what you're made of. You really see what your skill sets are like. And you really see, quite frankly, how quickly you can grow a skill that you never thought you had when you really had to do it. Oh. And then you think you have these skills and you take this course and your skills were terrible. I remember I took this course. It was about speaking in public. And I always thought I was a pretty good speaker. And I realized I'm a great talker because I can speak about this stuff because it's passionate to me. And I can talk about this stuff all day long, but you try to get me to sell a pencil to an Eskimo, I will just collapse on myself because that's not true to who I am. So I'm not a speaker at all. And it's funny, I went home that day and my wife's like, why are you so upset? And it's because I always thought I had this skill and it just got crushed in about 15 minutes by this professional person that's supposed to teach us how to speak. So I failed that one miserably. When you get to one point where you think you've got something nailed and then, you know, like you said, you get knocked down again and you got to, you got to get up, you got to go up again. You've been doing this for a while now and you've been scaling the company and doing a lot of work in the industry. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the industry as you've gone through your career and you've grown WGA? It's all workforce related. There's always new regulations. Clients really haven't changed that much. They want things done on time and budget. And the biggest thing I see is our workforce. And let me see what notes I made. I made some really good notes on this. It's just workforce dynamics. If I was working in my grandfather's era in the 1940s, he could yell and scream his way around and people would just be happy to have a job. 
If I was working in my father's era, women at the time were just kind of entering the workforce. And I've heard stories from my mother about how difficult it was. And you can imagine cubes with smoke rolling up and using payphones and sending faxes. And now the workforce is fairly equally balanced between women and men. And it's very diverse culturally. And so the way, and you could eat, people tend to joke about, oh, the workforce doesn't have the grit it used to have. And I believe it does. It just, you got to communicate to it differently. You got to get these kids that have grown up without a lot of struggle, but they still have a lot of pride and they still want to achieve. And they didn't learn that in college. And so you have to have the systems in place that speaks to them to build accountability, respect, and empowerment to get them to cross that threshold. So now businesses are now more than just an organization for profit. I was reading this article I really tight like that talked about conscious capitalism. That matters now. And the ability to have emotional intelligence and how to speak to them to get them to buy into your system. But you're still a for-profit business. So you got to be able to communicate both sides of the new workforce. Engineering companies today need to focus a lot on the development, finding the right people, bringing them in, training them, building that culture, because that's what runs the company essentially. And to me, the companies that I've worked with that have stalled in terms of scaling is because they can't find the right people. They don't know how to develop them. That's a major problem. And again, it gets back to the point where everyone's like, how many projects can we get? Let's keep going these projects and get, keep getting these projects in. Well, you can't forget about the people that have to deliver on those projects. And if you keep getting the projects in and you run out of the people to do them because you're not building the right culture and hiring the right people, that's all going to be like your bottleneck if you don't focus on that. And I might get ahead on one of your questions. And it's interesting. A lot of people think I'm going to start a business and I'm going to get a lot of clients. And what they don't realize, and I tell this to entrepreneurs when I meet them all the time, if you have half a brain, you're going to get clients. The getting clients is not the hard part. The hard part is delivering the product on time, in budget, and being right, and not being sued. By yourself, you can do about $250,000 to $300,000 a year in engineering by yourself. So your real skill as a leader is what can you get others to do for you within your core values, right? If they don't match your core values, kick them out of the company because then there's just someone working against you. The biggest limitation is, builds on what you said, it's not outward sales to the client, it's inward leadership towards your team and buying into them and creating like a servitude leadership where you're actually serving them. I tell my employees all the time, I work for you. What can I do to make your life better, your career better? How can I help? I say it all the time because I believe it. And that's what builds a great team. And we're actually going through a transition now where I'm bringing that leadership training into this office. And it's really changing the mindsets because everyone thinks it's getting the client. If you build a great team and a great culture, clients will flock to you because they see it. One point that you made there that I want to talk about a little bit, because I think it's an important one is a lot of civil engineers that I know worked at a job, they didn't like it, or they were working maybe on the public side of things and they decided they wanted to quit and they would just start their own consulting company, you know, Anthony Fasano Engineering and a stick of sign in the ground. And like you said, you could do a couple hundred thousand dollars doing that. But when it comes to that versus actually scaling and growing a company, which is your focus right now, what's the difference? Like, what does it take to really scale something up as opposed to just keeping something small? Like what you just said is a big part of it, right? The culture and the people. 
but you have to have a goal. You have to start with that goal. I have a friend of mine who started his own company and he worked out of his house, did all his own drafting, did all his own engineering, found that he had plenty of clients because he could offer a lower cost. That was okay. He could have a lower cost, made great money. And he told me that his limitation was two hundred fifty dollars to $300,000 a year, but he's doing all the drafting and there's never any vacation. And it's like a doctor. If your hands aren't working, you're not making money. To have a scalable business, you have to start with the idea that I'm going to scale. And if you're going to start with the idea you're going to scale, you have to start with the idea you're not going to make any money for two to three years because every single dollar that you're going to bring in is going to go back in to systems, software, computers, office space, furniture. And when you start, you're never going to get the best employees and the best clients. You have to work up to that. You know, the best employee that's out there is not going to go to a startup. He or she is going to want to find an organization that has some stability. And so you're constantly trading up clients because the very first client you get is going to be a guy who wants to pay you one-tenth what you're worth. The project, because he's going to you because he can't go to anybody else because everyone won't allow him in because any legitimate firm is already overbooked. You're already going to get a guy, probably it's not going to pay really fast if he pays you. He's going to make you do it and you're going to be frustrated by it. So you actually have to find a decent client and then find decent employees, and you work up from there, but you're constantly reinvesting, hoping you get enough out of that pit that you have clients that are willing to pay you. And then you're actually able to bring your prices up as well, because you want to find the clients that are looking for value, not for low price. Like you said, you really got to have a long-term view if you want to scale a company. It's not about what you're doing today, tomorrow, or even next year. You got to look beyond that. Yeah. I meant to say this. My friend asked me, he goes, Ryan, I would really like to grow my business. What can I do now? I said, Will, everyone already knows you as a one-person team. Your clients already know you as a cheap provider because you're a low-cost provider. Even though he did great work, his prices would probably be two-thirds lower than ours because he didn't have all the costs. So he's already set himself and projected himself to his clients in the industry as a low-cost provider. How do you change the perception? Well, you got to stop being a low-cost provider. Go take half a million dollars, go reinvest in an office and change everyone's perception. So if you're going to start from the beginning, being a scalable company, you have to act like it from day one. You are showing the community, clients and employees, who you want to be. So from day one, you have to program them and tell them who you're going to be. And if you start out small and act small, they're going to always think you're small. And he's still small, but makes great money. He does really well. I mean, he lives a great life and makes great money and he's happy where he is. And I'm proud of him. And, you know, it's making five, three times more than he would have made working for someone else. He did. He is very successful in his place. What really motivates you to grow, to want to grow WGA? What motivates me is I really like this organization that we just formed and it's created a really kind of boutique feel and the benefits that we're rolling out are we're going to call it a total wellness plan, which affects people in their lives from all different angles and has the ability to increase their level of happiness even at home. This company is taking a larger stance than just the civil engineering shop that you work for. And a lot of people that have come here have said, holy, Ryan, this place is great. I've never been in a place where it's so diverse culturally. It's so diverse male and female. I think we're actually probably 60% female. I lose track after a while. And We've heard from other individuals that walk through our office and she says, like, yeah, where I've worked before has always been 80% white males. And you guys have a very cultural, diverse take because we don't care about that. We look at their brains and their attitudes and their core values. We don't care about the other part. We just don't care. 
hearing from other employees that we hire, other members, other team members, it's so refreshing for them to be part of this organization. And with our core values of servitude leadership and faith, confidence, and beliefs in the system, that I want to be able to deliver this to other places to provide that same sort of, if you could say, light on the hill. And one of the best parts of being the founder of this business is there's no previous beliefs that I bring over from previous owners. Literally, I'm able to start it from ground zero and have the core values of Stephen and myself at the center of the business and never waver. You know, other companies that transact from old owners, you're just getting the same core values again out of different people because they've already have been programmed from the previous owner. We started from scratch, so we actually start with a blank canvas, which also can be a pain in the butt as well for other reasons. It's where I have fun doing it. That's great. And I really like that philosophy because I do think that if you're building a business, it's always been my philosophy that the business should serve the employees and it should impact their lives beyond what they do from you know nine to five or whatever the case may be. And so I agree with you that that could be a very powerful feeling as an owner that you're being able to impact people's lives in that way. We're going to take a break real quick. I'm going to come back and we're going to put Ryan on the civil engineering hot seat and wrap it up with a few last questions. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, we are back with Ryan Getz, CEO, founder, managing partner at WGA Consulting Engineers in Houston. We've talked a lot about scaling up a company, some of the challenges of doing that, but also some of what makes that really fun and exciting as an owner and seeing companies like this grow. And now we're going to put Ryan on the Civil Engineering Hot Seat with a couple of last career-related questions. You ready, Ryan? Let's go. Let's do this. Are there any specific rituals you practice every day? Do you have a morning or lunchtime routine or just something that you do daily that's contributed to your success as a professional? Time alone by myself. I spend at least an hour by myself every evening in a time to kind of think about the day and the things I did wrong and the things I want to do again tomorrow. Because sometimes your days can be so hectic. And if you don't have time to collect those thoughts, and you really got to connect from day one to day two to day three to day four and that time alone. And it took time for my wife and kids to understand that I needed that because initially they're like, oh, he doesn't like us. And I'm like, no, the day was such a hectic day. I got to have time to reflect on how the consultants and employees and clients acted either within my core values or outside of my core values and how I need to adjust to go into the next day strong and centered. And is that like something you do similarly every night, like taking a walk or? I mean, every evening I probably sit outside or in my hot tub and just sit there and reflect on the day and everything that took place every day. All right. Next question. Is there a book that you might recommend to engineers, business owners? Like if you look back and say, hey, I read this book and it helped me a lot. This is tough to answer because I've read a lot of books and each one at different stages was very critical. I've talked earlier about Ryan gets 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, up to 8.0. I'm looking at 9.0 now. Each book spoke very differently. And I could say the one I read during 2.0 is no longer useful. So I'm going to give you the book that I read just recently that really reflects nicely across all the board. And I got it right in front of me. And it's like, start with why. So many engineers think about how, and behind every decision, there's a why. And if you can understand the why, Everything else gets worked out. That's a great book, a great leadership book that's been very popular lately. So you should definitely check that out. If you're growing a company or just leading any initiative, it's great. 
because you need to understand why people are doing things. And we're not talking about employees, it's employees, clients, consultants. I had a consultant that I paid $25,000 to and she was terrible. Her company was terrible. And I just stopped talking to her and she never even followed up. You can have consultants that you can trust that have issues with their personal life and stop caring about their business. I had an IT guy have personal life issues and I had to reinvent a whole new IT guy overnight. That's the challenge of starting a business. And if you understand why people are doing what they're doing, you can choose better people that are better fit, that are more stable, that can better serve your business. Because people are always going to choose themselves first in their personal issues. When we design training programs for companies, they'll say, oh, we need this, we need this, we need this. And the first thing I'll do is I'll back up and I'll be like, why do you want this training program? And then they start to tell you why they need it. And then you start to understand the kind of training they need as opposed to what they're telling you. So definitely start with why. Brian, you started the business at a young age. So you probably didn't have a lot of managers in your career, but of some of the managers you may have had or mentors that you may have had, what can you offer about them that you feel made them good managers? What are your thoughts on what makes a good engineering manager? Engineers at their heart are terrible managers because I always remember there's engineers that start at a school and they want to move up the ladder, the career ladder, and they move up and all of a sudden they struggle because they can't get the two engineers below them to do what they were doing. And I say the number one trait that makes a great manager is emotional intelligence, understanding what is driving the person on their end. And it's funny, I say this all the time and all my employees laugh at me about it because one of the most important things in my own development was marriage counseling with my wife. Because I can remember struggling, communicating, being married at 28. And I'm thinking, why can't my wife understand what I'm saying? Well, it's because, you know, of course, I want to blame her, like any mid, you know, 28-year-old person that has no idea what emotional intelligence is. But going through marriage counseling gave me the emotional intelligence to now start understanding how to communicate. So the receiver receives the communication. It's not communication if it's not received. And so that emotional intelligence makes for great managers and be able to read a room, see who's upset, see who has a question that's not asking the question. I think a lot of managers, when you know, people use always say you need to be a good communicator, but that's like kind of a general thing, you know. But I think what you're saying there too is you need to understand the way different people communicate. It's like everyone has kind of their own language in a sense. And as a manager, you need to understand that. We all think, oh, that person they're just like me, and no one else is like you. You're crazy. No, it's actually me that's crazy. You know, it's my fault, not everyone, you know, and take blame for things and just breathe a little bit. Calm down, bro. All right, Ryan, I've got one final question for you. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So you get into an elevator with a civil engineer, you got 30 to 40 seconds with him or her, and you have to give them career advice in that short period of time. What would you tell them? I would go back again to what I said about 8.0, 9.0. You always have to look to reinvent yourself. You never know. People always think they know the most they know. And they look backwards and they're like, I didn't know what was going on. You have to understand that you're always going to reinvent yourself. Right now, at the age of 44, I'm going to reinvent myself again in a year or two. And that doesn't change. And whatever success that you want to get to is your personal goal and desire. But to do that, you have to be able to reinvent yourself over and over and over again. And realize there is no goal at the finish line. It's the process of reinventing that makes it so much fun. And you have to be able to do that to be successful. Otherwise, you're going to just find yourself shoehorn in a position and you're going to be stuck. And to show curiosity. I forgot to mention that earlier. I mean, great engineers show curiosity. I had an intern come into my office 
the CEO, right? I know that I'm not some scary guy, but you can imagine an intern. He just walked in and said, hey, I said, hey, come on in. He's like, what do you do? And I told him what I did. He's like, that's awesome. And he walked right out. I'm like, that guy is going to be really successful because he just showed a little curiosity to the guy that sits in the corner that works on his computer. You're right. You got to get out there and ask questions, be curious. Like you said, always be ready to adapt and reinvent yourself in your career. I think we've all learned that more than anything in the last couple of years, for sure, that you always have to be the people and the companies that can reinvent themselves are the ones that are going to last over the long term, for sure. It goes with each individual in their profession. You're going to have a manager and a boss that hopefully isn't toxic and someone that's looking for your best skills, that's looking not the best for you. And you have to be able to ask some questions, be curious, not duck your head, and then always go home and read and reinvent. If you go home and play video games and look at YouTube, you're going to be stuck going nowhere. I like that. Read and reinvent. There you go. Right. And unless it's your YouTube channel, of course. All right. Ryan Getz, again, CEO, founder, managing partner of WGA Consulting Engineers. Hey, Ryan, thanks so much for spending some time with us on the podcast. I know how busy you are down there scaling up that company. I wish you all the best with it. Thanks, Anthony. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Ryan Getz. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, you know he did focus a lot on the communication between owners and the employees and team members of the firm. I also really liked his comment about taking some time to yourself each night and reflecting on the day. I really do feel that that is something that people don't often do. And listen, you might not have an hour to go do that, but even five minutes can be tremendously helpful in kind of reflecting and downloading everything that happened that day and helping you to make decisions moving forward. Maybe you did something, you acted towards someone a certain way, and you could change that for the next time. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode 186. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.